You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. What I think about when I think about Even So is that we have things that happen to us here that we don't understand, that we can't control, uh, that could just take us down. But God moves in takes over and performs a miracle, or he takes away fear, anxiety. He does something that we just couldn't do on our own. Yeah, I think even so moments will happen um, to anyone who's lived an extensive amount of time. I mean, I'm 21, but uh, yeah, but I would think when you think of even so, you're disregarding things that um, that are circumstantial. Um, your, your hope is not in whether it's finances or whether it's in a relationship or status or um, what you think that people think you are. Um, even so says, forget all of it, that um, your hope's in Jesus and not of even this world. Even so moments, I think, for me, are, are the ones where I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know the answer to something. Uh, for example, I've gone through over the last several years you know, working with my mother's health care I've never taken care of someone that's in the shape that she's in. I've never had to make the decisions for them, uh, just like they made the decisions for me uh, when I was younger. And I didn't know financially how she was going to handle things. I didn't know how her care would go. Uh, I don't know anything about her health at this moment. She can't tell me. So those kinds of things, they'll show you where you are. That you are so small and so so lacking on that end of the spectrum that, that God is big and He knows. And even so, you take it to Him. He's big enough to handle it, and He's handled it, and He's came, He's come through in every single case. The way that this even so campaign has really resonated with me has been a um, well. I'm going to use Paul's words to describe it as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Use those in Second Corinthians six, and, and I feel like many of us as Christians, and, and even just as human beings, we live and we grow up, and, and uh, as, as we grow up in a broken and shattered world, we experience pain, we experience sorrow, we experience grief, and in those moments, and in those seasons, and, and as we are being shaped as people, something has got to come through for us in that. Some, there has to be some type of overcoming, um, you know, hero for us in those moments. And, and I can think back to, you know, as a 10-year-old boy of, of losing my dad suddenly on the first day of spring break during my fourth grade year and can remember, you know, the shaping and molding that that had on me. And then I can remember my freshman year of high school where it really came to its peak and, and um, all of the, the pain and the sorrow and the angst and kind of the ways that I bottled it up and covered it up, it, it met its match um, and it was that, you know, that, that moment that for the first time in my life, what I had always thought in my head became a reality to me. Um, it was the first time that I honestly tasted and saw that the Lord was good. And when that happened, I could look back on the pain that I had been through, the grief that I had been through. And, and even now, 
I can look to, to things that I deal with now or things that I've dealt with in, in just the last few months and say that even so, come Lord Jesus. I think if we're supposed to be Christians and we're supposed to follow Christ, then we follow His example. He was always thinking of other people. He put His own needs aside um, and took care of others. And I think to be that kind of church... As we come together as a unified church, then we're going to be focusing on other people's needs. I think one of the things that it takes is for us to be doctrinally sound in all that we do, in all that we teach, and all that we say. I think a second thing that it takes is for us to be relevant. You know, we hear that from the pulpit, but the reason we hear it is because it's true. If you're not relevant, no one listens. I think churches should be a place that the community looks to for guidance, um, to teach them how to live, to teach them how to be a family, to teach them how to be a parent, to help them through rough spots in their lives. That the, that the church is seen as a fountain where people can come to get a drink, um, and that we're available to them, and that we love them. Um, that actually, if Jesus were here, we'd do what he would do. You know, the past hundreds of thousands of years, you know, you look at the, the traditional church, um, God has moved, the Holy Spirit has moved. And you look at this church in particular, um, you would say that things are different, really different. Um, but the, the, the similarity that we have is that Jesus is the center of everything that we're doing, right? So, you know, you may see that uh, we don't have pews or uh, we don't use hymnals. Um, but, you know, when you keep crossing the center of everything that you're doing, God's going to move uh, miraculously. So um, that's always been our hope is that um, the kingdom is up front. The kingdom is um, the hope for all people, that the lost come to know him, those who know him um, grow in their faith. I feel very strongly that we have to be all in him. And all in is just what it says. It doesn't mean lukewarm about our financial support or lukewarm about our prayer life or lukewarm about our Bible study uh, or lukewarm about serving others. I think that has to be, each one of those things have to be intentional and we have to make the decision to make those intentional. For God to use us as a church, first and foremost, we must love the gospel. Martin Luther said that because I forget the gospel every single day, I must preach it to myself every single day. And in the busyness of our lives and the anxieties that we feel every day with the plans, with the obligations, we must daily remind ourselves of this good and glorious news. We must daily draw ourselves back to this living well. Because ultimately, every day we're going to be living for something. Every day we're going to be drinking from some well. And it's either going to be from an empty one or from a living one. I think, you know, the crazy part is that God doesn't need anything for for His will to be done. So, um, as as crazy as that sounds, you know, He God does not need Tikar to fulfill His promise and to fulfill the hope um, that He is. But um, the fact that we get to be we get to be a part of that is is a beautiful thing. Um, and so, you know, when you think of just um, the role that we get to play, that we have the privilege of playing um, through the grace of God, that we even have a shot at salvation, um, that our hope 
uh, is that the kingdom is advanced always before anything else, and that um, the name of Jesus is lifted up. much better than I thought. I thought all that would crash as soon as I picked it up. And I was waiting on David in that video to say, Batman. He had that dark thing going on. It's all right. But thank you guys for sharing. And uh, it, it was just a, a passion of mine to say, I want, I want you guys to hear from lots of different people in our church, not just myself. Um, throughout this even so series and so I'm, I'm grateful for those people willing to to do that and so hope you've all had a good week this past week um want to say right up front as always today's about jesus but i am going to talk about this uh but i didn't want you to lose track from the start and think oh here we go right but um i guess when i say hope you had a good week i'd say this being Tennessee and Granger County, most of you had a good week, and then there's maybe a few of you that didn't. Um, but it, it was a thing of hopefully your hope and your joy is not found in who wins as a president, but your joy and your hope is found in Jesus, as we've said many times. And, and so um, I want to just start by saying, because I've had these kind of conversations these this, this past week, because um, I had breakfast with another pastor from Morristown, we sat and talked about it, and um, another guy from towards the Jefferson City area, and we talk about it, it's just, um, we get, there's pastors that are concerned, myself, I get concerned, actually, about the election results, um, and by the results, I mean by the mainstream, not all, not everybody, but most vocal people from both sides, It's it gets concerning. Um, and there's a concern among pastors I know that I hang out with and talk with, especially for the the concern for the evangelical Republican voter. Um, I know I'm treading on risky ground here. There's a bunch of you like, I ain't going back there next week. Um, hopefully, again, your hope is not in that. It's in Jesus. But um, when you think about... <clears throat> Um, you know, concern, why would I be concerned about the evangelical Republican voter from this election? Um, you, you may think to yourself, you may go, well, okay, sure, there may have been some, some people may have been unchristian-like in their responses to people over the election and quick, uh, to be happy and push some people out of the Canada, out of the country into Canada rather than be concerned about the opportunity to witness to them and, for their souls and for them to know Christ and for them to know Jesus and be changed by Him. That's the kind of stuff that I go, sometimes we get off track because we're so quick to say, well, forget you. And when we should be saying, man, I'm, I, I hope that they get exposed to and get to know Jesus and their lives are changed and I have a concern for their soul, not I want them to just get the heck out of the country. Do you understand that as an evangelical 
Republican voter, how funny that sets when we when we present that. That's just not what we need to present. And sorry, I'm on a little rant right now, so just forgive me for a moment. Um, I know we all have different views, but my concern is that the gospel go forward and people know Jesus, not that some political thing goes our way. But but there's and there's lots of passion um, to want to rub it in, you know, and from both sides and and rub it in the other side's face rather than a, be a person of peace and love and passionate about sharing Jesus with people. Yes. Yeah, and when I say that, you you may go there and think, yeah, there could be issues with pride and arrogance, but that's not my concern right now. My concern becomes, and this leads into what we're talking about this morning, okay? So if you think I'm just on a rant and it's not going anywhere, just hang with me, okay? Don't shut down yet. Um, the concern, as I had breakfast with this other pastor, is is the fact that, depending on what statistics you look at, and um, people will be quick to argue and want it to be larger or whatever, but... Depending on where you look, 80 to 85% of um, evangelicals are said to have voted for Trump. Okay? So, so what, so here's my concern. If that's true, okay, what should be the result of those 85% evangelicals getting the president they wanted that they so passionately, uh, feel will be good for the cause of Christ and therefore the church in the United States? What should be the result? The result, you would think, would be an increased commitment to the church and the church grows more and and people are more committed and they're like, yes, let's go. This is great. Um, and, and it should be up and to the right for the church and more people... In, sharing their faith with people and more people coming to Christ in our country. Isn't that the logical, like that should be what happens? And my concern is, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. The reality is that we are probably more at risk to be where Bill was talking about in that video and being lukewarm and just going, oh, we can relax because we've got a, this president that we wanted that'll be okay with what we're doing, and so we can relax. And it'll be prosperous for us again, and we'll get our way again. And and so there'll be actually a decline, and everybody goes back to trying to pursue their American dream and make themselves comfortable, and hey, everything's going to be okay. And, the, and it actually people go mediocre and apathetic about the church because really it was about us being more comfortable, not about advancing the cause of Christ. You understand my concern? Um, it's the same risk that you see over and over. You see it played out in the Old Testament with the, with the Israelites, the children of God, as they, uh, all throughout the Old Testament, it was the same pattern when things were good and the, the nation was prosperous and they had things great. What did they have a tendency to do? Uh, idol worship and it's about us and let's do what, you know, they just, they would stray from God. And then it would take difficult circumstances to drive them back to God. And, and the, and they, that would be this cycle. They would become arrogant and less committed to God and eventually wander into idol worship and forget God. 
and then it would take losing God's favor and hard times to get them back to being fully committed. And I think the church has been so mediocre for a while that that in the United States that I don't know that this is really going to help us. I believe that is our position right now, that if we really want the freedoms we say we want and we want our nation to be one that honors God, then we as the church better honor God and be more committed than ever. Makes sense, right? We should go all out for God, for our God and His glory regardless of who the president is. Yet in the United States, even the Bible Belt, most Christians won't even read their Bible, much less dedicate themselves to do what it calls us to do. And I'm not sure that most people wanted Trump because it gives... I think they wanted it because it gives more security to our American dreams and American way of life and prosperity and self-serving reasons rather than thinking it would help them serve God more and spread the good news of Jesus more. Okay? We'll see, right? I'd love to eat those words. Absolutely love it. Okay? But that's my concern. And I hope this church is not one of those places where that's the case. But thank y'all for letting me rant for a minute. Okay? I didn't get any amens throughout that. So I'm I'm the lone prophet crying in the wilderness and I'll just I'll just go there and stay there. That's usually the case. It's okay. But our prayer has been through this even so series that you would see what is really at stake, even in that in, in a thing like an election, but you would see in the church what is at stake in being the church. You would see who we are and what the church is here for. And the vision God has given us is, is, is to build community on the foundation of Jesus, to make disciples who serve. You, you heard that all throughout these people talking. And to reach as many as possible wherever we're called for the glory of God. That's what we want to do. That's what God has called us to do. And what is, is at stake is people's forever. Okay? Their life here and for eternity. What is at stake is people never knowing the God who made them and never experiencing all He made them for, never experiencing what it's like to know Him, be loved by Him, and be in a relationship with Him, and be able to be with Him forever. And there were a, a core group of people who started this church here. When we began uh, 14 or so years ago, there was these people who had this idea of, of making this a place where it was just, it, it was great to be able to invite people to come to church. Cause I don't know if it, you've ever been there, but I've been in churches. I love the people. Um, it, you know, I, I would get, you know, things out of it and I grew and God would speak to me there. And, but yet when I would think about inviting other people, I'd go, eh, I don't know. You know, it's like, I, I love my church, but I don't know if I want to invite anybody else here, you know? And, and you'd have that push and pull kind of feeling about the church. And we were like, we want to take down all those barriers, as many barriers as possible, to allow people to focus on God, for people to be able to invite their friends so that they could come and, and find out what God was like and begin to live in a relationship with Him. And we want to take away those barriers so that people could just focus on what God was saying to them. And so where they could begin to follow Jesus. And so we had this core group of people. Um, I'm going to do a little marker board stuff this morning. 
um, hopefully. So we had this core group of people. These starters, these guys that started the church, right? Okay. There were these, these people who saw the need for this to exist. To, they saw this vision of what it, it, God was calling a group of people to do and, and reach people who weren't being reached. Uh, to do something a little different. To reach different people. And, and so they were following Jesus. And uh, they were followers. Okay, sorry about my writing, but as you listen to me, hopefully you can you can follow this. But here they are; they're followers of Jesus, and and they wanted to see this happen. And so, what happened was, let me get this because I'm going to use this in just a moment. What happened was these. Let's leave this out for just a second. Um, These followers of Jesus began to invite other people to come. They started reaching out to people, okay? Inviting people to come here, be a part of things, just check it out for yourself. Hey, we've experienced this, and we want you to experience this for yourself. So just come check it out. Begin to invite them into a relationship with Christ. Just invite them to come to church, whatever that may be. And, and before you know it, these people, as they were invited, they come to see what we're doing, and they become... Uh, a member, which is someone who's a uh, says, I'm in. I want to contribute to the vision and what's going on here at this church. So they become members of the church. Um, I've skipped a step. They become, that's where the followers go. Follow-er, okay? And then they become, after they, they have this encounter with Jesus, they know who he, he is, they come face to face with him, they repent, they turn towards him, give him, their life to him. Then they become a member, uh, start contributing to the vision. They become these people who um, get involved in community, uh, in a home team. They start getting involved in a small group and being a part of doing life together. Okay, Then you see them uh, start to... Um, serve in the church and serve in the community and reach out in that way. And the next thing you know, those people are giving to the vision and mission and they start tithing and giving a percentage to the church. And that's what these people did for so long that enabled all this to, to have that foundation and grow and be here. And so they say, we want this to go on further and we want to advance the cause of Christ. So we're going to start giving uh, a percentage as Jesus asks us to do and and tells us to do in the scriptures and and so they begin to give and before you know it they're reaching out to others and they start inviting people and and it, and on it goes you've seen it in our in our if you those of you who've been through 101 if you've ever seen the concentric circles that came from um, Saddleback Church Rick Warren purpose-driven life stuff, the concentric circles. It was about those that were in the community becoming a part of the, the crowd at church, and then they become part of the committed, and then they become part of the core of the church, and then that core goes back out to the, to the community and begins to reach and help people come through that system again. It's the, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And so you see this process happen with people, uh, and, and, it, and it happens over and over and over and over and over. 
And that's, that's how people become a part of this deal and how it grows. And every time that goes around, it grows and it grows and it grows. And, and it's every time somebody comes through, we hope they get to the point and don't stall out, but get to the point where they're a part of that process and reaching somebody else and helping them coming in to know that life. All biblical things God calls his followers to do. And so hopefully you'll see uh, an aspect of this process, a couple aspects of this process, in the story we're going to look at this morning from Scripture and read together about this woman that Jesus met. And David stole uh, Philippians 2 from me last week. That's my favorite passage of, passage of Scripture. And so but we talked about it. He uh, He's over there. I'm pointing up there because you're sometimes up there. Um, David... Uh, did Philippians 2, so I'm going to use his passage that's one of his favorites from um, where he got the well for the student ministries, and so I'm going to talk about that passage this morning because it fits um, so well with what we're doing, but it's the woman at the well, um, and and when I when I first put together and had this, this thought of Revelation 22, 17, and about um, people coming, inviting people to, to drink from the water of life for themselves, for that to invite people to drink from that water, it automatically, in my mind, this passage came to mind. And so I knew at some point this would be a part of what we talked about through the Even So series. I even mentioned to David, I was like, man, I know this hits with, resonates with you because it, it, it goes so well with, with this passage that he loves. And so um, I hope it inspires you to love like Jesus loves, to invite as many people as you possibly can, to invite, as Jesus invited people from beginning to end of his ministry, as you see him go up to people and say, come follow me, um, whether it was come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, or whether it's this lady inviting her to drink from the water of life, um, that you will begin to be that kind of person as we're to be like Christ. And he's still doing it today, but he's doing it through us, his church, inviting people to follow him no matter where they are from or what they have done. And that's a big deal because that's that's one of the biggest barriers as I've seen people come through here and, and come and go and people struggle and wrestle with is, well, given what I've done, how can God love me and use me? And this story is a great example of how God does that. And he can do that. And so I hope it inspires you to become a person who turns around and offers that to other people. In John 4, verse 5 through 18, we're going to look at that first, and then we'll keep going. But it says, So he, Jesus, this is Jesus, came to a city came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And jo Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And at the, at, right there off the bat, it's great to just understand that Jesus was fully God, but also fully man. That he was, he was God come to earth in a human body, so his body would get tired. He would get hungry. He would feel the way we feel because he's in this human body, but yet having all of the authority, the, the, he is God in human flesh. But but that body was limited, um, but but he was not as God. So he, he would get tired. 
uh, and hungry and feel what you feel. So when you hear things in the scriptures like he suffered as we suffered, he knows what you're going through. He does fully because he could he could feel pain. His heart could ache. He would weep if he got hit. It would hurt if he was hungry. He felt that he knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by friends. He knows what it's like um, to be hurt by people. He knows what what that is. So he understands. He doesn't just sympathize, he empathizes. Hebrews 4, a verse that I a lot of times will use when I visit people in the hospital is just, so we do not have a Savior who does not empathize with us. But yet, he was tempted in every way we were, yet was without sin. I mean, he knows and he understands. He knows what it's like to be tempted by sin, but yet to stand on the words of his Father and resist that and not do it. Okay? He knows what that temptation's like, though. Okay? So he, Jesus, here he is, goes to Samaria, and he runs into this woman. And there came a woman, it says, of Samaria to draw water, which was wrong time of the day, if you know the story and have heard about this, for a Samaritan woman to become to be there at the well. You know, why would she do that? You know, it was really the wrong time for anybody to come. It was a hot part of the day. It was not, um, you know, usually it's morning time or it's cool that to go get water first thing in the morning or whatever, but but here she is in the hot time of the day. Um, and, and the deal is she didn't want anybody to see her. She didn't want to run into anybody. She didn't want to talk to anybody. She was probably ashamed of her life insecure, embarrassed, and felt worthless and knew and, and had all these thoughts about what people in the community thought about her. And so she just she just didn't want to be around anybody, didn't want to see anybody, didn't want to feel this weight of condemnation from people looking at her even to just go get water. And so she would go when nobody else is there, but guess who's there? Jesus is there. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, which is not a pickup line, okay? Hey, buy me a drink. You know, that's not what's going on here, okay? He was, y'all can laugh a little bit, it's okay. I know it's church and it's Jesus, but we can laugh and have fun, okay? It's okay. Um, but, but he said to her, give me a drink, okay? What he's trying to do is start and initiate a conversation with her because they're not supposed they're not even supposed to talk to each other, either one, okay? She, as a woman, was uh, especially a Samaritan, much less just a woman, was not to initiate that with him. And and he, as a Jew, was not to speak to a woman, especially a Samaritan woman. So he knows that barrier's there. So he's he's stepping beyond that cultural, cultural barrier. He's stepping beyond that religious barrier. And he's saying, I'm going to, I care about this person, and I'm going to initiate this conversation and build a relationship and 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 knew he, she would not. So he did. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? And then he lets us know here, John kind of throws in there just, to, just so people understand, hey, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, okay? Jesus was breaking these rules. Men and women rules, religious rules, Jews and Samaritans, 
okay, Republicans, Democrats. He was breaking all those rules, okay? More coffee, people. More coffee before you come here, okay? And then Jesus extends to her um, the most wonderful invitation any person can ever receive. It's, it's amazing. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew, if, if you just knew the gift of God, and then that often I'll say here, you know, it's, as Christians, we look at people and go, man, if you just knew, if you knew what I knew, if you, why in the world would you not want this relationship with Jesus? Why would you not want the God who created you? And I can't understand why, why people who don't know him, uh, don't want to, they won't even come to church. I don't get it. But then you've got these people over here who don't know God, who are far from him going, looking at Christians going, why in the world would anybody want to do that? Why does anybody want to give up their time to go serve somebody else when, when we, we need to take care of ourselves? Why, why in the world would they give without any expectation of getting anything back? Why, like that makes no sense to, to someone far from God. So they're just going, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And that's, that's the dynamic here is that how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? And then he comes back and just says, if you knew, the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask me. You wouldn't even worried about all these cultural norms and all this stuff. You would have just ran and asked me. You would have asked, give me a drink. And, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, sir, you don't even have anything to get water out of there with in the first place. The well is deep. In other words, it's just it's too far for us to go without having anything to help us to get the water. You, you you don't you don't have the ability to do it. And isn't that often what we think? We often think Jesus doesn't have the ability to to help me where I'm at. Not where I'm at. Where then do you get the living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well? And drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. You can get to the bottom of this well. You can drink as much of that as you want. But it won't be long. You'll need more. Because it will not satisfy. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus tells her, if you drink out of this well, it's not going to last. You're going to have to come back here again, and you're going to come back again, and you're going to come back again, and that's life in a cursed world with a sin nature. That's the way it happens. But if you drink the water I'm inviting you to drink, living water, water of life, you won't ever thirst again. It'll actually be in you, with you, always. So it's a constant satisfying, a constant joy, a constant, I'm okay. And we here live in a world that's full of people who have appetites. All of us have these appetites that can't completely be satisfied by the things we're running to. We have these wells that just can't hold it. 
there's one place in Scripture that says they've made for themselves broken cisterns that can't hold, they can't hold water. It's broken. It'll never be able to hold. You can throw as much water as you want in there, but it just, just leaks out. And so people try to satisfy themselves with relationships or just sex itself or money, popularity, power, material possessions, addictions, and drugs and alcohol. And we run to those things and we think it's going to satisfy us. And so we go to that well and we take from it and we think, well, I'm satisfied for a moment. Oh, that's great. And then we end up emptier than we were before we went to that well. And the only thing we know to do is, well, I went there and I was okay for a moment, so I'm just going to have to keep going back there. And it, and it, it just, eventually we just chain ourselves to that. And it never fully satisfied. And we become enslaved to that well. And that well is never going to satisfy fully. It, it always has a hook in you to keep you coming back. It always does not fulfill the, what it promises to give you for a moment, but then it's gone. So what are you thinking this morning? This just this, I know we're looking at this woman at the well, but again, here's what Scripture, this is what God puts us here for and why we do this. We've got to look at ourselves and say, what am I thinking is going to satisfy me? What are you thinking this morning that's going to satisfy you? Some of you, in your mind, you're already thinking about that thing you're going to run back to this afternoon. That you're going to run back to this evening. That you'll just endure this. Maybe feel guilty so you feel better about yourself. Man, I felt guilty, so God, you know, man, that was great. I felt bad, so I must be okay. But but just feeling bad, it, 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 there's, there's this thing called repentance and getting out of the enslavement from that. Just coming back every week and feeling guilty. Eventually that fades. And you're still enslaved. What do you think is going to satisfy you? Think it's living in a Christian nation again will satisfy us? All that stuff I just listed, money, power, Popularity, fame, whatever it is. Having the right guy, having the right girl. The American dream, the right president, whatever it is. Is that, is that going to satisfy us? And this woman in this story was looking for love in all the wrong places. Anybody want to break out in tune right there? Got your guitar, we can just go with it, okay? That'll be our invitation song. I'm just kidding, don't do that. She was looking for fulfillment and security and value in a man. That's what was happening with this with her. Okay? Ladies, it ain't gonna happen. Okay? Let me just look around. Y'all need to wake up, okay? It's not gonna happen. All of us need Jesus, especially you ladies. If you just look around, you need Jesus. A man ain't gonna do it, okay? But here's what's cool about this story. The fact that Jesus would extend an invitation to her. 
for her to have forgiveness and acceptance and fulfillment in him says a lot about what Jesus thought about her, regardless of what her past was. The woman said to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. She still hadn't quite got it, right? He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And here's the God part, okay? He's in this body, fully man, but fully God. So he knows. He knows already. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And he wanted her to know that he knew all about her past. I know everything about you. I know everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever been through, everything that's ever been done to you. I know and I understand he knew all about her past and yet he was offering her living water, offering her himself. Back then, a, a lady like that, she... Women in that culture had no value. They had no value to start with, okay? Much less trying to get it out of the love of a man, okay? Women were not allowed to divorce a man then, okay? But a man could divorce her just like selling a piece of property, just sign a paper and off with you, I'm done with you. Move on to the next. And this woman had five men that had looked at her and said, I don't want you anymore. But I thought you loved me. Right? Five say, well, I don't want you anymore. And she felt like she had no value. She had no worth. And it was just scraping the bottom of the barrel to find anybody who would want me. Given what I've done. And who I am. But Jesus was saying, nothing on this earth that you can do or that can be done to you, there's nothing that can change or affect what your worth is to me. That, that has no bearing on my love for you or what I offer you. In fact, it's in spite of why I'm offering you. I know who you are. I know all about you. I know what you've done and what you've been through. I still want you. I still want a relationship with you and you're of great value to me. And from that, she has this even so moment. My life's been this way. I've been looking for love in all the wrong places. I've been discarded, no value. But even so, the God who made me, who made it all, who holds eternity in his hands, he looks at me and says, extreme value, great love for you, great worth to me, and I can use you for great purposes. The Lord Jesus has come into her life and it changes everything. Yes, her past was rough, her life was not going too good, but even so, come Lord Jesus and change my identity, my value, my purpose, my life. And then we see how God 
uses us once we experience Him, once we have that even so moment for ourselves, we become people who can't wait for other people to, to, to we can't wait to get here where we start, I mean, you don't, we ain't going to wait till we get around this circle. We're going to start inviting people just like that. Because we get, if we really get it, we are compelled by His love, the Scripture says. We're not compelled by duty or a have to or, or man, or, you know, I, I want to look good in front of people and do good works. It's a thing of, man, I'm compelled by His love because of what He's done for me. I want you to have that. And that never gets old as a Christian. It doesn't. I mean, I come home given this week and Nikki's cousin, 27 years old, dying in a car wreck um, Thursday or Friday and I've just had, I've been around so many people and I just, I stand in those conversations and there's all these people that I don't know, I don't know who they are. But I'm just looking for that way to, how do I turn this to be able to talk about Jesus in some way, to talk about God and what He offers in this moment, to get to know these people. It's a compelled by His love. I hate the, I hate the reason we're having to stand here and talk. But I'm loving the opportunity to say, even so, I mean, I, just with one lady, that's, that it was a thing of why. And I said, I don't know why. People die, and I, you know, especially a young guy, like, I don't know why. And I said, I know this. I know for God it's not a problem to God that if little Mike's in heaven, it wasn't a problem for little Mike to come join him. And neither, and if that's where he is, and, and I say it that way um, because you guys know my position on, this is, this is a hard thing to talk about. Uh, in the midst of this, but it's a thing of people make professions of faith, but did their life change? I don't know. I ain't been around him. I don't know him. I'm not saying he was or he wasn't a Christian. He's in heaven or he's in hell. I I just don't know. And it's not my job to declare either one for him. Okay? But I'm just saying, if that's where he is, you know, and what's, you know, he made a profession of faith that Nikki's grandfather's funeral. When we, me and Daryl Walker preached it. This young man came up and made a profession of faith at that funeral. I, you know, you take it at face value, but I don't know. I've not been around him since. He could be doing great. I don't know. Okay, I just I'm I'm paranoid about that whole. In the Bible Belt, everybody at funerals goes to heaven, and they don't. Okay, so I've said that before, and I want you to know I apply that even to myself and to my family. Okay. I'm not hypocritical in that way, but I'm off track. But the thing is, that she, why? I don't know why. But if, if he's there, we should be joyful and happy. God is not seeing it as a problem. And man, he's, I'm jealous. Like, I'm like, man, not that I'm craving a car wreck or anything, okay? But it's like, man, to be with Jesus and be there, I don't know why. But it'll be okay. And we miss him. I talked to him about it's it's okay to grieve and miss somebody and be hurt by that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But God is still good, and it's still the end goal to be with him and have a relationship with him forever because that's the only thing that will satisfy for eternity. So here we are. 
John 4, 28 and 29, and then we'll skip down to verse 39. So the woman left her water pot. Here she is, compelled by love. She's like, I can't believe, given who this is, that he finds that much value in me. And she, to me, I think she, in that moment, got it, and she was like, satisfied. I don't care about them guys. There's five guys in the past. I care about them. I want them to know what I know now. But my value isn't in that anymore. My identity isn't in that anymore. Notice now where she was hiding to go get water. Look at what she does. And went into the city and said to the men. So now here, this woman who's not really supposed to do this, runs back to the city and starts telling all these men, come, see a man who told me, all the things I have done. Do you see the drastic change? That's right. You know you got it when there's a, it's a changed life. It's not a pray to prayer, walk the Nile. It's a changed life. You go, what about the thief on the cross? Well, he didn't have time for to see that. But if he got it, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Then he was there, okay? But, but as time goes by, as we live on this earth, if we're here, you're going to become more like Jesus. There's going to be a change, okay? And you see it in her. Verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have, have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, this is awesome, okay? It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. He is the overcoming Savior that can overcome all that in your life. No matter what you've done, where you've been, where you think your value comes from, or your identity, in Him you are a beloved child inheriting the kingdom of God as a co-heir with Christ and he wants to use you as an ambassador for him, for others to know that. She went and told them and invited them to drink the water for themselves. And so it's what we as followers of Christ are called to do now. You, you can do this. If you're a follower of Christ, if he is, if that fountain of living water is in you, you can do this. It's what we do as the church. And you see what's at stake by simply even reaching out and inviting someone? It's as simple as an invitation that can change people's lives. And, and just inviting them to church. Andy Stanley did, Stanley did a message recently and he talked about the, just the power of an invitation and how that can... Everything in your life, you could map out your whole life and see the changes in your life were all a, a result of an invitation of some kind. I love, he said, even the fact that you're here is because of an invitation between a couple people. Okay, Hopefully it was an invitation to go on a date and then date a long time and an invitation into a marriage and then you came along. But it started with an invitation. Okay, that there, There's things you can see in your life and trace back to. There's an invitation to something to change things. For a lot of you, it's an invitation to come to church changed who you are. 
to, to invite people to go and eat and build a relationship, come to church, to love people where they are and extend an opportunity to them for them to experience Jesus for themselves. And it can happen simply by an invitation. And I hope what happened to this woman at the well has happened to you and that you would be used by God to reach others. This invitation in this passage is what Revelation twenty two seventeen is talking about as we've used that as our, it's been the foundation of this series where it says the spirit and the bride say come. It's an invitation. It's saying God invites us and then we as the bride. Who's the bride? The church. We then look to people and say come. And let the one who hears say come. It's what happened to this woman at the well. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost because Jesus paid for it. I wonder if you would be willing to say today you're committed now more than ever not just to saying I'm a Christian and God bless America. But to doing what He has called us to do. To now be the ambassadors of God who represent Him because we're citizens of another place. We're citizens of heaven and so we're to represent Him in this world even in the United States and invite them to, them to come and drink of this water of life. So, so where, where are you in that process? And where is your commitment where you're compelled by love and you're committed to the one who is ultimately committed to you even to death? Where are you in that process? And I, I want to ask you, there's in, in the chairs, if you can't reach one, it might be behind you or something, there's cards in there this morning. And I wish I would have changed the order of it a little bit, but it's all good up to reaching others. I wish giving to the mission and reaching others was the last one, but that, that's, that's part of the process. It's this process. So I just want to ask you this morning, if you, if you would, you don't have to participate in this, okay? There's nobody like forcing you to do this. But I'd just ask if you would. Maybe you're here today and you're searching for life in all the wrong places. You can't find real life. God orchestrated things and used people in your life. They use, God has used someone's invitation to get you here because you're so valuable to Him and He loves you and wants you to be a part of His family and doesn't care where you've been or what you've done, but He wants you to be a part of His family and for you to be a person who invites others to be a part of that. So valuable to Him that He came to earth in human form and died on a cross to forgive you of your sin, took the wrath we all deserve, and offers you life through His resurrection from the dead, a new life in Him, eternal life, satisfying life. And you can have that today. You just turn to Him. That's what that first thing on there is really is about. Following Jesus is saying... This is where I've been. I've tried to find my identity, my value, and who I am in so many other places and so many other people, so many other things. And, and I'm done with that. I, I'm not a good God. I don't make the greatest decisions on my own. I'm tired of being Lord of my life and coming up empty. And so here, there's Jesus, and I see him this morning for who he is. And so I'm just going to turn and follow him, and he is now Lord of my life, and I 
believe he died on the cross in my place for my sin, and so I'm his. And that's that's repenting. That's turning from you and your sin and acknowledging, yes, that's who I am. I have a sin nature. nature. I have I have offended a holy God, and I'm just saying, God, forgive me, and I'm turning to you. Now, I don't want to live like that anymore. And if you've had that, if you've had that, if I had a pen, I'd mark it myself right here. I, I've had that moment, and I hope maybe that's you this morning. And then for those of you who, there, there's like five families joining our church this morning, becoming a member of, our, of the church. That's saying I'm going from a consumer to a contributor, and I want to start giving to and, and being a part of advancing the church in our community. And I support the vision of this church. I'm with you. I'm on the team. I'm already part of the family, now I'm on the team at TCAR. And and so that maybe that's your step. Maybe you're saying you want to do that. Well, that's what you are doing. Maybe you need to join a community, join a home team. Maybe that's where you are. You're you're following Christ. Maybe you've become a member. You haven't got into a home team yet. That's That's where you need to commit to. Just trying to help you with what is your next step. And don't let empty wells and running back to that stop you from becoming who God made you to be and what He wants for your life. Take the step He's asking you to take, whatever that may be. And so maybe it's serving in the church. I, you know, I'm a member and, and I've been to a home team. I haven't served yet. There's People have come to me lately and say, I want to serve. You know, those that are being in the 101 class today in the new members class, we're going to talk about serving and get you connected in that. Okay, giving to the mission, it's what God calls us to, is, is to be sacrificial people who give of our time, our talents, and our resources. And then reaching others. Now, I'm going to invite people. I'm going to be a person who tries to reach and invite other people. And here's what we've done. Out there, out front, um, or somewhere, we, we've had these made. Uh, it's a card, looks like just like my business card, or I don't know if it's a business card, that's what it's called, but my card, David's card, Nikki's, all are out there, Rita. But on the back of this one, this is an invite card, and we put this together for you, okay? And all it is is a map of where the church is, service time, Sunday at 10.45 a.m., come as you are. It's got a website on the front, Facebook, that kind of thing. And there's a big blank space right here so that you can write in Elizabeth Grisham and put your phone number if you want to. You don't have to. Depending on who you're inviting, you may not want to. Okay? Okay? But hopefully you'll put your name in there and you'll say, hey, would you come to church this Sunday? And if you want, I'll take you to lunch afterwards. I'd love to do that with you. And not a... When you invite somebody to church, which, by the way, church on Sunday morning is still the best entry point for people to faith still in our culture today. More people come on Sunday mornings than they'll come to anything else you'll do. Okay, And so it's a great entry point for people. And so when you invite people, don't say, well, hey, it's like me going, hey, David, let's have lunch sometime. Okay, When's that going to happen? Probably never. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, I mean, you've had those conversations. Let's have lunch sometime. It never happens. Here's the way it happens. Hey, David, let's have lunch on Monday at 12 at Down Home Restaurant. You good with that? Yes or no? And then and you get, and and that's how it happens. You can't, you got to be specific. You can't just say, hey, come to church sometime. 
okay? It's, it's this and saying, hey, would you come this Sunday? We've got some really special stuff planned at church. I think you'll really enjoy it. You'll love the music. It's no pressure. Come as you are. Wear your jeans. It doesn't matter. Just come hang out with us. Nobody's going to pressure you. You don't have to do anything. You can sit there and, and just enjoy a cup of coffee. Just check it out. Okay? So there's a bunch of those out there on the table as you go out the door. Um, there's a pile of them. Grab you two or three, four. I'm asking you, would you at least try to invite three people by next Sunday? That you would reach out to someone else. Okay, and then lastly, I want to ask you to do one more thing. Some of you have done this, and I appreciate it. Uh, if you would share your even-so moments with us, okay, and what that has been for you, whether it's email, text, um, whatever it may be, decision card, those cards that's in the back, it says prayer requests on the back or comments, just put on there your name, phone number. And that's on this card too. This is what we're asking this morning. Would you fill out that bottom part? What are you committed to? And put that in the offering basket as it comes around this morning. And then the decision card. If you've, if you've had an even so moment, what was that? What was it before and what is it now? Hey, my life was like this before, but now with Christ it's like this. And just share those with us. You're going to see some of that next week um, in the service, and it'll be wonderful. So it, would you share those things with us? Would you just bow your heads and let's pray before we close? Father, we thank you for inviting us to the life you've made us for. You don't force us. You with love present it to us and offer. And I'm praying, Father, there's many here. I know there's many that already have, but there will be many more accept that offer through how you work through these people, just as you did that woman at the well. Father, I'm thankful for people here who really get it and really are all in for you. That it's not about T-Car. It's not about all the things we often make it. But it's about you and people knowing you. So, Father, thank you that knowing the worst about us, you still love us more than anybody. Knowing everything, our past, what we've done, and what's been done to us, you love us and we have value to you. Thank you, Father, for your love. May we be compelled by it, and I pray we would be more passionate than ever about what matters most. We pray for those open doors. And that I pray that we would take advantage of those open doors and invite people and tell them about you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.